1: Plus.
0: So, look, I'd be delighted uh, to codify what the president is doing. But here's the key. I don't have any doubt that the president has the legal authority to cancel this student loan debt.
2: Not a joke. Not a joke. And that wasn't hyperbole. I meant that. I'm not joking. No, I'm serious. This is not hyperbole. And I'm not being facetious. And I mean it. Not a joke. For real. Not a joke. I mean it. I'm being serious. I'm being serious, Put all kidding aside, for real. No, I'm not joking. Not a joke. I mean it. I really mean it. I mean this. I'm not being solicitous. Not a joke.
3: Here's the thing. People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That That has to be an act of Congress. But the difference between the president president can't do it, so that's not even a discussion.
1: Everything is song. The
3: USA is in a crucial state. the free the way God made men And I won't be ruled by the damn UN you're Taking your right to self-defense. They say you're safer, but they don't make sense. Dangerous ones will not turn in their guns. All the unions always ask for. Is made out of foreign shorts Come a day when there will be real help, hey. I've got a
4: to today's broadcast of Tap to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. But as always, I am your ever-so-humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tapp, coming to you from historic Rome County, Tennessee. And we have got a little conversation to have in regards to post-election recriminations. Uh do have a conversation upcoming with Mr. Don Smith, host of The Don Smith Show previously. Now he does a brand new show called Political Insider. And uh, believe me, if you're not already signed up to, to pick up new episodes of Political Insider that you can find on his Locals account and over on Rumble, then you are by all means missing out. We'll have that conversation with... Uh, with Don here in just a little bit, but before we get into that, I want to take a serious look, although we'll probably still be discussing some of the major topics involved for a little while to come. but we still need to have this conversation, and we need to start getting refocused as conservatives, as constitutional, loving Americans. We need to understand. Why we did not get the red wave. Why we did not get the red tsunami. Why we barely got a pink trickle. And part of that has to do with so much infighting already going on. You see, while the Democrats talk a big game about being a big tent party, the Republican Party has actually become exactly that. And the downside of being a big tent party is there's a lot of room for disagreement. There's going to be a lot of folks that simply are not going to get along. That's also going to occasionally, which seems like all the time, lead to incidences of muddied messaging. By that I simply mean we're not even going to have the same message to share. As we are talking, time of the live discussion here happens to be November 13th of 2022, we're not quite a week removed from the election, the midterms here in the United States, but we've had plenty of folks blaming a lot of folks. In truth, I'll uh, I'll close on who I think shares the majority of the blame. But at the end of the day, there was way too much blame to go around to simply pick a single person. So let's talk first about this idea that Mitch McConnell tanked the Senate races simply by not funding candidates. See, supporters of former President Donald John Trump, you know, the orange man who was bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist, that guy— See, they're out here saying, full-throatedly, that the Senate Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, is responsible for Senate losses because he failed to direct sufficient funding to candidates who ran with the endorsement of the former president. Now, if you take a look at the actual numbers, how much money was spent... That doesn't necessarily hold up. However, it kind of depends on how you measure the level of funding and how serious a candidate was and how serious McConnell was about trying to support these candidates. Now, the most specific criticism comes directly from Blake Masters, who, of course, was the Trump's hand-picked candidate for the Arizona Republican Senate seat. He was talking with Dr. Carlson just the other day, and he said, quote, McConnell decided to spend millions of dollars attacking a fellow Republican in Alaska instead of helping me defeat Mark Kelly. Had he chosen to spend money in Arizona, this race would be over. Now, again, I I get why Blake Masters was upset. A lot of Republicans were rather upset that McConnell did, in fact, spend so much money trying to help support Lisa Murkowski in a race that essentially has Murkowski running against another Republican. The Trump-backed Republican. And, unfortunately, this is a race that will ultimately come down to Republican-on-Republican violence. Not literal, but figuratively. The ranked choice style of election that Alaska has chosen to move forward with, it can be problematic. We'll just say that. Now, it's pretty clear that the people of Alaska absolutely positively do not want a Democrat running. But when you have a Republican like Lisa Mikowski, do you really not have a Democrat running? Sure, she claims to be a Republican, she claims to be conservative, but she still voted with the Democrats far too often during the course of her career, including some of the more important votes that took place during the Biden era. So, does like, masters have a legitimate argument here, or is this just sour grapes? Is he looking for somebody to blame other than Donald Trump? Because there's been a lot of blame, a lot of fingers pointed at Trump. I myself, quite upset with uh, the orange man who's bad uh, because of his refusal to wait until there's an actual campaign taking place for a primary race for the presidential nomination before he started taking cheap shots at Ron DeSantis. He's followed that up with uh, cheap shots also at the current governor of Virginia, a guy who also rose into popularity uh, and won largely on the strength of promising to put parents back in front of the decision-making process for their children's education. He took those cheap shots after the election. But he actually started taking cheap shots at Ron DeSantis before the election was even over. The primaries hadn't happened yet. He started turning off Republican voters who were fired up and ready to support candidates that he had chosen because they had won their primaries. And these people kind of started backing off. Now, it's an actual thing. There's no question about the reality of that. The only question is is how much of an impact it had. Did it come too little too late? I don't really think Trump had that much of an impact on the election itself, unless, again, you take a look at the dollars that were spent. So, is it Mitch McConnell's fault that uh, Masters lost? Maybe, maybe it is. The overall charge of not spending heavily on the Senate races, well, that's... False. McConnell spent, well, McConnell's super PAC, the Senate leadership fund, spent way more money than any other PAC, period. It was far outspending of the largest other spender, that of course being the Democratic counterpart, the Senate majority PAC. When you look at it, we're literally talking about, as far as spending in the 2022 cycle, McConnell's little pack spent $230 million. That was way over what the Democrats spent. Trump's super PAC, the MAGA Inc., it spent about 6% overall of what McConnell did. It only spent fifteen million dollars. It literally ranked number twelve among super PACs. Now, if you have been listening to my rants recently, you heard me complain about how little of the money that Trump raised and then put into these super PACs his Super PAC, actually got spent supporting his candidates. Very little of it got spent, and most of it in the final days after early voting had already concluded. So, could Donald Trump have done more to help his candidates, especially once they knew for a fact that McConnell wasn't that interested in having a bunch of hand-selected Trump acolytes in the Senate? Well, you can certainly make that argument. But what you can't say is that McConnell did not spend money on hand-picked Trump-supported candidates. Trump's literally uh, picked several folks. McConnell's super PAC ran ads helping all of the Senate candidates that Trump's super PAC did, except for Masters. Masters were the only one. Now, does this have something to do with a interpersonal thing, or was it the fact that For whatever reason, McConnell thought that Arizona was one that they should be able to win without spending a lot of money there. Again, this is where a lot of folks get upset that he spent so much money in Alaska trying to support Murkowski. Murkowski, Murkowski, Murkowski. Let's let's help Lisa Murkowski. It's not like she really uh, acts like a Republican all the time, but uh, we'll spend a lot of money trying to support her against a Trump. Supported, handpicked candidate. But uh, Masters has a reason to be upset with McConnell because he did not get the same help that all the other candidates did. Literally in Georgia, McConnell's PAC spent more than ten times what the MAGA Inc. did. McConnell was literally spending ten times more money trying to help Herschel Walker cross the finish line. Spent. $38 million from that pack, compared to $3.4 million. In Nevada, McConnell spent $26 million to Trump's $2 million on Adam Laxalt. In Ohio, McConnell spent $32 million, compared to Trump's $2.3 million, to help J.D. Vance. Pennsylvania? McConnell spent a whopping $52 million trying to help bolster the chances of Dr. Mehmet Oz. That massive spending was viewed as necessary because Oz was, well, he wasn't a great candidate. And let's be honest, too. Trump decided to give his endorsement to Oz Not because he thought he was a great conservative, not because he thought he would be a quality guy to have in the Senate, but because he thought he was good on television. Something that, in Trump's mind, they have in common. That was it. No other reason. Mehmet Oz is at least two more campaigns away from becoming a good candidate. He's got potential. He could be a much better candidate. I still question whether or not he's conservative in a real fashion. I suppose once you get to a certain point in your life, you start leaning a little more conservative in almost everything. But does he understand the fundamental principles of the Constitution? Whoa, Tim, hit the brakes, because how many of those folks right now serving in office with an R at the end of their name can make that same claim? There's about six of them. They're all voting in the freedom caucus, boys and girls. Oz had very little traction even among Republicans in the state of Pennsylvania until Trump's endorsement. That helped a little but by then the the worst aspect for most Pennsylvanians had already been done. The damage had already been done pre stroke when we're talking about John Fetterman the damage of being painted as a carpetbagger The same damage that I had wished had held true in Utah when the fine folks out there decided to elect Mitt Romney. We talked about it here on air about Mehmet not being the best candidate available in that Pennsylvania runoff, but it, it doesn't matter now, does it? The damage is done. Point of the matter is, Mitch McConnell spent way more money one could say, wasted way more money to try to help that particular Trump candidate than he did almost any other candidate that was being supported. So despite this race arguably being so very close because Trump's Oz pick, Trump's super PAC, they only spent $3.5 million compared to $52 million. So, does there need to be some, I don't know, let's say that perhaps there's some nuances in this accusation? Masters has a very good reason to be upset that he didn't get enough support. He didn't. Donald Trump didn't offer up enough support either. In fact, Donald Trump very much seems to be trying to keep all of his political war chest available for his next big run. But it wasn't the amount of dollars that was spent. It wasn't the quality of candidates because, let's be honest... If it was really a question of the quality of candidates, if both Democratic voters, Republican voters, both were looking at who their best candidate was going to be, there are several places where the race would have went drastically a different direction. Because Miminoz, despite not being a perfect conservative, is still a far better choice of being a senator than a guy who can't even get a full sentence out who clearly has an underlying cardiac condition that makes him highly susceptible to either another stroke or a massive coronary event that could claim his life sometime in the next four years, which, by the way, a Senate term lasts for six, so he's not likely to get through this first term unscathed and healthy. Now, this isn't me rooting for a bad thing. Don't get it twisted. Don't take it the wrong way. I certainly hope the man makes a full recovery and somehow manages to beat the odds and become a fully healthy person again. I do. But even before his stroke, he was a horrible candidate. This is a man that, again, public record, engaged in acts of vandalism. While he was a sitting mayor, on both private and public properties, a man who engaged in a shady land deal where he utilized a nonprofit that he was running while he was the sitting mayor. That the vice president of this nonprofit was his deputy mayor. The deputy mayor makes a purchase of a parcel of land that was valued at seventy five thousand dollars in the town that he's supposed to be helping to revitalize, and then he personally purchases said land from the nonprofit for eleven hundred dollars. Now, if somehow they manage to avoid breaking any law in the the whole concourse of that, it's still at the very least immoral and shady. This is the guy? A guy that literally makes uh, Bernie Sanders look like a middle-of-the-road centrist? This is the kind of guy that you think best represents the people of Pennsylvania? Come on, Pennsylvania! What were you thinking? Well, here's what you were thinking. You were thinking blue no matter who. You were thinking the Republicans are scary. Because the Republicans are still supporting those insurrectionists that attacked the Capitol on January 6th. They're supporting those people that want to take away women's reproductive rights. They want to take away abortion from everybody, period, all across the country. And why would you think that? Just because the people on the blue team told you that? Just because the people that were sitting in elected office told you that? No. No. It's because that was the message you were receiving from Republican leadership. This does fall directly on leadership, period, end of discussion. Whether it's Mitch McConnell and his decision to try and keep a lot of toast, mostly Democratic voting Republicans in the, uh, the cadre, or whether it was somebody like Lindsey Graham, who knew? that abortion was going to be a major activist issue and would capture a lot of the youngest voters. Now, maybe, maybe you're counting on historical trends where the youth vote and the activist vote typically don't come out much in the midterms. But we had Roe v. Wade overturned, and then we had morons like Elizabeth Warren out there talking about how they're coming They're coming for your rights, all your rights. They're coming after gay marriage next. They're coming after... All of these things are things that the Republican Party should be targeting, but not targeting to do away with, simply targeting to make them state issues again and get it out of the purview of the federal government because it never belonged there, which is all the Supreme Court did. But what did Lindsey Graham do? He, while this debate was going on, tried introducing a bill that would federally ban abortion all across the literally feeding into the fears. And you can't convince me that the timing didn't have a little something to do with maybe, I don't know, trying to help prevent a red tsunami from happening. If you want to look at reasons and recriminations, Republican Party leadership has all of the the biggest chunks of blame to go around. You can lay it right at their feet. These guys do not deserve to stay in in a position of authority. And it doesn't matter which ones you want to look at. You can go three positions deep in the Senate and the House. They need to be replaced. We need new leadership that are willing to put America first. I would personally, if I had any standing in the matter, go ahead and offer up the members of the Freedom Caucus to begin. Those are the folks that still believe in the Constitution, that should be in positions of leadership. And they need to be communicators. They need to not be afraid to discuss the social issues. They need to not be afraid to engage in the culture war. But they need to understand how to reframe the lies that the left continues to tell the American people and continues to convince those among us with the least bit of life experience and now very little training in critical thought, they're, they're buying into that instead of taking a moment to ponder. It is Republican leadership to point, as is often the case. Messaging, again, fails the Republicans. And as we have heard quite frequently in the last several election cycles, we should never underestimate the Republicans' ability to snatch defeats out of the jaws of victory. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back with my conversation with Don Smith. You're listening to Tap into the Truth.
5: America.
2: So, according to Klaus Schwab, he runs the Western Hemisphere. Hmm. It is easy to understand why Schwab believes such madness, hello, I Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. The Bible talks about how there would come a time when those who hate liberty, good moral standards, individual sovereign nations, and above all, God himself would try to manifest a globalist anti-God, anti-liberty form of existence and would try to force it upon we, the people, whom they see as nothing more than peons to be controlled from cradle to grave. It is the clause Schwab-influenced politicians and others like Governor Newsom, Pierre Trudeau, little Dr. Fauci, Franklin Graham, Ali Obama, and others who seek to kill and destroy our unique, exceptional nation way of life. They are so maniacal, and they are literally trying to strip the humanity from the children via masks, mandates, and evil indoctrination in government schools. For too long, many were asleep at the wheel and allowed the madness to mangle our republic. But through God's grace, we, like the truckers, will unite and push back the darkness. God bless you. God bless America, and may America bless God. I'm Ron Edwards. For Constitutional Grounds coffee, simply go to BlueRidgeCoffeeCrafters.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less ascetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to TheRonEdwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase. And to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. My name's Joe Biden. Not a joke. Not a joke. And that wasn't hyperbole. I meant that. I'm not joking. No, I'm serious. This is not hyperbole. And I'm not being facetious. And I mean it. Not a joke, for real. Not a joke. I mean it. I'm being serious. I'm being serious. But all kidding aside, for real. No, I'm not joking. Not a joke. I mean it. I'm a, joker.
3: I'm a smoker. I'm a midnight joker.
2: I sure don't want to hurt no one. I keep forgetting I'm president.
4: All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you back to the show, Uh, sitting down and having a conversation today with Don Smith. You guys probably remember the Don Smith Show. It's not that far removed from our memories. Uh, Don, first of all, thanks for uh, joining me. As always, I appreciate the opportunity to get to speak with you. Uh, Thanks for uh, coming on with me. Oh, my pleasure, Tim. Thanks for having me. All right. Before we go too far into anything else, I know a lot of my listeners have – Always followed you as well. Uh, You left BTR a while back. You went over to uh, Locals, doing uh, great stuff over there and uh, sharing on Rumble. Uh, Give everybody an update with where you're at now.
5: so, yeah, so we uh we shut down the show here a couple months ago and we've moved to Fort Worth, Texas. Um so I'm I'm doing a new show now called Campaign Insider, and we've been going inside of campaigns, uh talking to the candidates and just really kind of breaking down how campaigns work from the inside. So obviously I've been involved in a number of uh, campaigns over the year, uh years and uh still involved in a couple here uh right now this election cycle so we're here getting actually gearing up for 2024 already so i've got a great candidate that you'll be hearing more about here in the near future and uh really excited about that so uh, we're loving it in fort worth uh we traded the best governor in the country for the best attorney general so ken paxton it was great to see him win again uh just congratulated him yesterday on that and um yeah so so far so good here and and we're really enjoying it
4: all right yeah i definitely uh certainly one of those situations where I hate the uh, turning of the page because of what's lost, but at the same time, a lot of great new stuff going on. Uh, it, it was very sad until I actually read the entire message. When I first saw popped up that you were shutting down the show, <laughs> I was like, "No, guys, seriously."
5: <laughs> well, the, yeah, thanks. It's yeah, it was a, a kind of a tough decision, but not really because, like I said, we've got we're kind of focusing now on uh, 2024 already, and it might be a little early because we're still a little hungover from Tuesday. But <laughs> anyway, so yeah, looking forward to that, and uh, we will be doing some more Don Smith shows. Just kind of shut down doing it every single week. Week on Saturdays and I think in the 15 years I missed like five Saturdays so uh, so it's been kind of cool to have a little bit of a break from it but I'm excited to be doing more stuff now so like I said we've got campaign insider going on uh, great we've had three great shows already with that and we'll have a fourth one here this week so uh, really excited about everything that's going on right now but it was yeah it's been really weird uh, um, to not be doing that every Saturday at noon show and um, but yeah I've been enjoying our time since we've been here
4: all right. Well, I definitely look forward to more of these shows because I don't think people truly appreciate what goes into a campaign unless they get to see that inside stuff that you're bringing. And it's been uh, a lot of fun watching the Rumble so far uh, because the, the level of insight and connection that you have with the folks you speak to, it, it is at a different level than what most people manage. You, you're one of the best people at what you do, period. So with, with all that being said let's get back to that hangover from Tuesday business. Uh, First and (laughs) foremost, um, my first question has a lot to do with logistics. Uh, We are still seeing some of these folks not able to declare a winner yet. We've seen some back and forth with projections. Uh, Part of me says, okay, I think I would rather you take the time to get it right than to call it too soon, have people concede. But at the same time, how is it that we have any state in this country that's not capable of having their results at least within 48 hours?
5: Yeah, and and I think this has all got a lot to do with what happened during the pandemic, right? So, I mean, a lot of rules got changed. And I think if you just look at Florida, just take a look at Florida, and Ron DeSantis kind of reset everything. So after, you know, the the big scare of the pandemic and things were passed – he, he realized that they got They needed to get the voting rules and everything kind of back in place to what it was before the pandemic. This is uh, being sold to us now as the new normal, the way this is going. Uh, and it's it's really unacceptable, and it should be unacceptable to really every American. I don't care what side you're on. Uh, we, 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 don't, we shouldn't be doing this. It's not election week. It's election night. But if you look at Florida, they reset everything, put it back the way it was, and we got results, accurate results, to your point. Yeah, we don't want to call things before we really know. But in Florida, they did. And they had no problem. It's the third largest state in the country. And they were able to count count everything and have everything called by the end of the night, which is the way it should be. It's what should, people should expect. I mean, just take a look at Maricopa County. I mean, what, what a disaster. What I mean, That is that is unacceptable. And people should uh, not accept that. Washoe County, Nevada, same thing. Uh, but with a lot of places around the country, it's just been... Uh, It's been a mess since pandemic. And so I think people need to really get serious about this and uh, get these rules back to where they were before. Uh, It should be more about uh, same day voting, election day voting, I believe. I've always believed that. Uh, So, yeah, I just think so many rules got changed and it allows for this kind of stuff. It's created confusion. We had polling sites that were running out of paper a couple hours into into voting. And uh, of course, again, go back to Maricopa County. I mean, that's just that's a disaster and it's unacceptable.
4: Yeah. While I certainly agree with you, part of me, I can't help but throw my uh, tinfoil hat on. (laughs) Yeah, It it, it really does open up that possibility. If you want to try and convince Americans that you can have faith in the election process, it it really seems like the – Premise should be on making sure that we get those results quickly, that it doesn't look like you're stalling to try and figure out how many more votes you need to find somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of good reason for people to have legitimate questions, but yet we are automatically enemies of the state, according to the left, if we even ask the question.
5: Yeah, yeah, no, and and that's a great point because that's really where we're at right now is is having faith in our election system and, and how it works, and and right now this is not helping that cause at all, and that's and that goes back to my point. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, you should want your vote to count. You should want to have everything above board. Uh, we shouldn't be counting things. I mean, Maricopa County yesterday announced they had four hundred thousand, little over four hundred thousand votes left to count, and they were hoping that they would get it done by the end of the weekend. There's not even a guarantee they're going to have it done by then. That is uh, that is not acceptable. Send them out to Florida. They'll count them for you and take them about two hours. Even with the shipping back and forth of the ballots, you'd have them quicker than what they're saying they might have. And so I think having faith that your vote counts, I mean, that's such a big part of, of America and what we are. And, and I think that's really taken another hit here. So uh, yeah, I don't know what happens going forward, but everybody should be concerned about this.
4: All right. We were expecting, based on the momentum from the polling, the possibility, and I I always use the word possibility because I try not to get overly excited when the media tells us anything, but the Mm -hmm. possibility of a red wave. I was even hopeful of a red tsunami. We got more of a pink trickle, (laughs) but as we look back at that, what is your primary take on what actually happened with those events? Is this a question of quality of candidates like we've heard so often? Is it an issue of the issues actually standing out a little bit stronger in the, the minds of some <laughs> folks than what they admitted to? Or, well, go ahead. I,
5: I think a lot of it, I mean, you kind of mentioned there at the beginning what the TV was telling us. Well, what the TV tells us is the polling data. So you look at all the uh, various polling operations out there, and some historically have been better than others. This time, they got everything wrong. So it wasn't even just the the candidate matchups. It was also the, the issues. I mean, they were apparently even wrong on the issues. If you compare everything that we saw leading up to election day, and then you look at the exit polling, uh, it was way off. So how does that happen? I think I think what I was talking about earlier with the changing of all the rules and everything that's going on in in that regard, I think that's going to impact the polling. But I don't think anybody expected the polling to be that far off. i have doing the campaigns. I've got some some key people that I work with that are always very accurate. And uh, so it kind of puts everything upside down when, when you can't rely on that because. The polling is so important to creating your messaging, to creating uh, marketing, how you market the candidate. I mean, there's so many things that are reliant upon knowing how people really feel about things. So that's, to me, that was the biggest concern from what just happened here on Tuesday is, as you said, everything was so far off uh, from what they told us. So I'm really concerned about that.
4: Yeah, I I really look at certain races, too, like uh, the Pennsylvania senator race uh, to see john fetterman a man who in, in my mind way more dangerous if he does fully recover and i'm not rooting against a recovery just mm-hmm. he was a terrible candidate to begin with should have had people in pennsylvania mad at him over the little land deal he pulled and i wonder how many folks in the state actually knew about that mm-hmm. but uh, when you look at that how much of that was blue no matter who and how much of it was early voting, where it was too late to change a vote by the time they found out how bad his current health condition really was.
5: Yeah, and that and that's a great question. And I think it kinda of ties into what you were talking about before the candidate quality thing. How much did that play into it? But when you look at Fetterman, I think I think certainly uh there were a lot of ballots that had already been cast before the the only debate that they did, which was a disaster for I mean, John Fetterman, I mean like you, I mean, I hope he gets full recovery. But the guys, like, uh, man, I don't know. It's pretty scary that people would go and vote for somebody who he makes Biden seem competent and coherent. Uh, so I, I'm just, I'm blown away by that one. But I think that also flies in the face of everybody who's saying it's it's about the uh, candidate quality. It's the quality of the candidates. That's the big thing. Come on, really? You just pointed to John Fetterman and say, really? So that so that's the that was the determining factor was he seemed more capable of cognitive uh, thought than Dr. Oz. I mean, I don't think Dr. Oz was a great candidate, and I think that was one of the uh, bad picks by President Trump, and I'll say that right now, and I think a lot of people felt that way as well, but he was certainly far better than what we see with John Fetterman, so I don't I don't believe the whole quality of the candidate thing. I mean, uh, Carrie Lake, to me, is, is a rock star. I think she's a great candidate. Uh, I think if you look at her opponent, Katie Hobbs, which that's still up in the air right now, uh, she's a train wreck I mean just watch her debates or lack of debates she, her unwillingness debate I guess is a better way to say it but she also even when she does answer questions it's it's insane the, what have you learned from the Hispanic community she's I don't even know what that answer was so I can't I really can't put it on candidate quality and I think you said it uh you said it right there when they say on the left vote blue no matter who look at John Fetterman, I mean, these guys really mean it. I think conservatives are more concerned about the candidates where they stand on issues. And uh, I think they put I'm going to say I think they put more thought into it. And I think if Fetterman was on was on our side, I don't believe a lot of uh, true conservatives would have really showed up for that. So, uh, yeah, I think there's it's all those things combined. And it's just um, it's a shame what happened here this last Tuesday.
4: Uh, Looking at another big-time election uh, result, one that we really should not have been in, and that's the gubernatorial race for New York, how very close that ended up being and the coattails that actually pulled over a lot of House seats for the conservatives Mm -hmm. – What do you feel like is the most surprising aspect of that race? Because that one to me really does stand out as a place we shouldn't be winning, but a place where a lot of hardworking people that typically vote Democrat Mm -hmm. are feeling the results of the current uh, economy a little bit firmer, a little bit faster than the rest of the country.
5: Yeah, no. I, I think when you look at New York, I mean, that's that was almost a silver lining there, right? I mean, I think the the pickups that they had in that state for Republicans was huge, and I think it's because these people are living in in this. They're they're probably as impacted. You take uh, like California, especially Los Angeles area. Uh, you take New York, New York City. They're I mean they're really being impacted on a daily basis by Kathy Hochul and and before that um, obviously they, anyway we won't even we won't even talk about Cuomo but but they're suffering from these policies the the cash bail the release the all these things that are going on they deal with that every day so I think. That was kind of a positive thing to see what happened in New York, to see Republicans doing as well as they did. Uh, Lee Zeldin should have been a winner if it wasn't as blue as it is in, in New York. Uh, I think for sure that's an easy win. But it also goes back to what we were just talking about, Tim, and that's the the quality of the candidates. Kathy Hochul, I mean, in the, in the debate there when Lee Zeldin brought up the crime and she made the comment, I don't know why that's so important to you. Number one, you should no candidate should ever say that that crime is not something that's important because, of course, it's important to everyone. But to say it to Lee Zeldin, who was personally impacted by this stuff. I mean, he got attacked on stage. He had people outside of his home threatening him. I mean, this guy was personally impacted by this. So that should really flip things. And, and I think it if you really take these things, you look at that. We talked about John Fetterman, the early voting stuff. This, this is not good people because people haven't had a chance. That's the vote blue no matter who, right? So they go, yeah, I don't even need to know anything about either of these people. It's vote blue no matter who. And I think that's that's really dangerous. But I think the early voting thing is uh, something that really needs to be looked at. All
4: right. Now, I have to admit, uh, Don, I, I have taken full advantage of it because the hours that I have been working, it makes it really hard to, until I get there late. And it's just so convenient. Uh, but – I also know that I'm looking at all the information before I go in. And sadly, Mm -hmm. like you're pointing out, not a lot of folks are doing that. And it's so easy to just Mm -hmm. walk in and just ignore everything that happens. And the old October surprise notion, uh, when it's legitimate, You need to know. You should be informed walking in. And it really is better if you don't even go vote if you're not informed enough to make a good decision. And a lot of folks don't like that mindset, but I repeat it quite often. I even have a little fake uh, public service thing I do for the presidential elections called the tap into the truth voter apathy project, where I try to convince <laughs> people if they don't know certain things, just stay home. But,
5: yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, and, and so, okay, let me be clear on this is, is I am not against early voting. I just think there's no reason that people should be voting 30 days prior to right. an election. And, and I think it goes to what you were just saying. And so I trust that you've, done your research due diligence and you know who these people are when you go into the poll but uh, there's a lot of people that don't and in the case i'll go back to the case of fetterman again it was before the only debate they did and that debate was a disaster i mean i wonder how many people voted for fetterman a month you know two weeks before that debate that would say oh my goodness i can't believe i just voted for that guy i would hope there's a lot um but i don't know maybe we got to go back to the vote blue no matter who i'm not sure yeah
4: well, I do know that one of the most common search questions on Google the, the next couple of days was, how do I change my vote? Based mm-hmm. in right. Pennsylvania? Right. That tells you all you need to know. But, uh, I mean, yeah. in my comment, it wasn't uh, so much to, to say anything pro or against uh, the early voting. I was just saying, while mm-hmm. I have enjoyed it, I think we may be to the point that pretty obvious maybe that matter of convenience is a little too convenient because yeah. – if you care enough to vote, you should care enough to do the things that's necessary. And if you don't like how your state sets it up, uh, have your elected officials change it. Yeah, it's that simple. That's not that hard. Um, looking at just a couple more issues, uh, what would you say the Trump effect has been? Because a lot of folks have blamed quality of candidates, and that's, of course, been tied to Donald Trump in the last few uh, weeks of the campaign's. He started doing more rallies, and it did kind of seem like he was trying to put that uh, it's still really about me swing on it that turns off some of the folks that supported him. But was that really as much of a factor as some of these talking heads are saying? Because I I don't think it was. I think it's a bad look for Donald. I think he should have waited uh, until the actual (laughs) – Candidacy is underway before Mm -hmm. taking shots at anybody. It's a bad look, but at the same time, I don't think it had that much of an effect, but am I wrong on that?
5: No, yeah, I'm certainly I'm not going to say that this was Donald Trump's fault or or in any way he uh, had a major impact where Donald Trump had a major impact this election cycle. And I know I worked on a campaign where we had the Donald Trump endorsement. We had it very early on. And he also he hosted a number of fundraising events uh, that were very successful. And uh, so he was very helpful in, in that way, especially in the fundraising side of it. Um, but I think also I think you kind of pit, you hit on something here, too. And uh, so I uh, may I'm going to assume that you were referring to the, the sanctimonious uh, comment, which was prior to the election. I have a huge problem with that. Do not interfere in that way. But it also that could have had impact more so not obviously it didn't on Governor DeSantis, but it may have on some of the other candidates because. Uh, The big word, the big thing that I heard, I guess the biggest word that I heard from people responding after he made that comment about Ron DeSantis was uh, they're just exhausted of it. So, I mean, I think that really had a negative impact, not just on, in fact, I don't think it had any negative impact on uh, Ron DeSantis, but it may have on some of these other candidates that that he put out there. I think when he did the Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, when he did that one, I think that was a big deal for a lot of people. It was for me because I know some of the history of Dr. Oz that. Doesn't really jive with being a conservative It was just like all of a sudden, oh one day he was a conservative And now he's got Donald Trump's endorsement So I mean, I think that I think it's a
0: With Lucky landslots, You can get lucky just about anywhere
5: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here Today to, has anyone seen the Bride and groom?
6: Sorry, sorry We're here. We were getting lucky In the limo and we
0: lost track of time
1: No, Lucky Land Casino With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry In that case, I pronounce You lucky
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
5: It's a complicated thing to really break down what the Trump effect was, um, but I think in a lot of ways, money-wise, it had a very positive impact. But in other areas, it didn't. So that's one thing. When you're inside of a campaign, is you've got to you've got to look at stuff like that. And who do I want? endorsing me who do I want talking on my behalf and those kind of things um but I don't yeah I don't, certainly don't blame Donald Trump but uh like you I was I was disappointed and you should have waited until after uh the elections before he made the comment about Ron DeSantis and then but really you shouldn't make those comments until after a candidacy so I agree with that part of it but yeah I don't th- I don't blame it on Donald Trump for sure
4: yeah it's just you know everybody's scrambling, trying to find an explanation. We've heard the quality of candidate thing. We've heard the Donald Trump thing. And I really, I have a hard time buying into all of that. I think it really still just comes down to a lot of young people in particular that showed up uh, in record numbers for a midterm election are still buying into the false leftist narrative involving abortions and democracy Mm -hmm. and, and all this crazy talk. And there's nothing more frustrating for me, and I know it probably feels the same way for you, uh, when we hear about a threat to American democracy, which, of Mm -hmm. course, is actually a constitutional republic where we use democracy as part of our principles, Mm -hmm. the bigger threat is the policies that uh, these same Democrats are pushing. So it feels like it shouldn't be that hard for these folks to see through these lies, and it really felt like – to me, Mm -hmm. uh, I was seeing a lot of people – I was talking to a lot of young folks – who honestly believed that if Roe v. Wade had been overturned, that that would make abortion illegal everywhere. I know you probably uh, ran into some of that, too. And when they started finding out that that wasn't actually the case, some of them started asking the question about how many other things they were being lied to. Hmm. Obviously, there were a lot more younger people that still weren't doing it. Uh, Was that... More of an issue, do you think, at just them falling back on abortion and the January 6th narrative more so than we would have presumed?
5: Yeah, and, and so that kind of goes back to what I said at the beginning with the, with the polling, right, where it was it was not just off on candidate matchups, head-to-head matchups. It was off on the issues as well, how important was the abortion issue. But it really, okay, so my, my thing first entering into campaigns is – was communications, and and communications are so important because you have to, you take just take Roe v Wade. So number one, who was out there? I mean, we we have a lack of leadership in the House and the Senate, uh, and I don't think any any of your listeners, probably not too many of them anyway, would uh, dispute that. So I'm talking Kevin McCarthy and of course Mitch McConnell. You've got to get out in front of these issues and say okay listen roe v wade this was sending it back to the states as it was intended this is a state's issue and people needed to make that case instead of oh no well yeah they just the supreme court banned abortions no they didn't they sent it back to the state so it's a state by state issue so that's number one number two the real issue is this is about whether you could or could not have an abortion the messaging should have been on that, and this is what we did on the campaigns I worked on, was we pushed back and said, should there be – okay, so let me get this straight. You're saying the, the woman's dilating right up to the minute of, of birth. It's okay to do the abortion? Should there be any limits at all? If you ask people, if you pull people and you say, do you think a woman should have a right to choose? If you word it that way, a, a lot of people. We'll say, absolutely, yeah, they should have a right to choose. If you ask them, as I just said, okay, right up to the second of birth, well, no, they should not that. So it was never defined, and that's the leadership's job, is to get in front of the American people, get in front of a microphone, and explain these things. Uh, Roe v. Wade just put it back to, uh, you know, the reversal of that, just put it back to the states as it was before. So it doesn't mean that California is a bastion. Tim, they'll probably have drive-throughs in the next couple of years out in California on it. So I mean that's fine. So if you if this is so important to you, move to California. That'd be great. Let's get all the the leftists in California. I've always been a proponent for that. but but you've got to define these issues to where people understand what's really happening here. And I think a lot of candidates, but for sure, the leadership did not do that uh, for for these candidates and and I think we paid a price for that.
4: I think one of the biggest reasons that conservatism is losing in the culture war, and has been for a while, it has a lot to do with the fact that leadership in particular is afraid to engage in those right. conversations. They've just got it in the back of their mind that they can't win that, when the the truth is, if you tell the truth, you're going to win. Uh, the example you were using, uh, how you phrased the question, what limitations do you buy into?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: ultimately, after that first trimester, the overwhelming majority of Americans aren't good with it anymore. Right. Uh, right. That first trimester, they're like, okay, especially if it's a bad situation. But yeah, you, you can't be afraid to engage. You need to just be able to be honest about what you actually believe and, yeah. uh, and messaging. <laughs>
5: There's there's so there's th- three really good examples of, of where that was done, but then it was never amplified. It was and it, none of them were done by the leadership, the people that need to be out in front of the American people explaining these. And I think of the Kathy Tron in, in Virginia where, where she was asked, OK, so the the woman is dilating. I mean, the birth is going to happen. Is there anything in your bill? Because it's a big bill that they passed in Virginia. Is there anything in your bill that would prevent that? Nope, there's nothing in my bill that would prevent that. People would be horrified. Even she, Kathy Trom, when she answered that question, she gulped in the middle of the answer because even she understood how bad that sounded. But there's also you've got the Ralph Northam one, right, where he said, so even after the child is born, the doctor and the mother will have a conversation, a conversation about the child's born. (laughs) <laughs> what conversation are you going to have? That's, it is now officially murder. There's a lot of people that believe, and I'm one of them, that believes abortion is murder. That's, I mean, that's actual murder. The child is already born. And then the other one was actually Brett Baer on Fox News who had Tim Ryan on. And he said, so just to be clear, there are no restrictions whatsoever. And he said, no, it's between the the woman and her doctor. And so like you just talked about after the third trimester, there's a lot of people that go, well, okay, wait a minute. You, there's been a chance to already do all these kind of things. So my point with this is message it that way. Watch those three clips. If, if your leadership in the house, the, if you're Mitch McConnell, if you're, I mean, watch those things, get out in front of the American people and explain that this is what they're talking about people. And I don't know if it's that they, that they're afraid. It might be like, as you said, are they afraid to address these issues and confront them or do they just think that everybody understands that? And it's just, uh, are they assuming that people know what we're talking about here? And I, you should never do that <laughs> in communications. You should never assume anything you know what they say about assume. So, uh, yeah, I think that I think a lot of the blame can be pointed right towards that, the messaging.
4: Yeah. All right. Well, do you have any prognostications you'd like to share in regards to these still up in the air seats? I know Arizona is still. Right now, it looks like it's heavily trending that we may get Kerry Lake after all. Uh, we've got a few other races up going. Uh, what's your gut feeling and your experience telling you on some of these? And uh, then after that, let's look at the runoff uh, election in Georgia upcoming.
5: Yeah. So I. Uh, so the last information that I have. But uh, so again, this is this is where it's really difficult for me. This election cycle is because I've always had these. Sources that I could trust that say, well, this is what's going to happen, and uh, and I had those leading up to election day, yeah, but they've it's all been blown out of the water. So what, the information I have right now is that Carrie Lake will win the counties that are outstanding, the votes that are outstanding will drop in her favor, pretty much seventy percent kind of thing. But she needs a few. Uh, but then I had also heard that uh, last. This is as of la- late last night uh, that Adam Laxalt was going to lose, and uh, um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think Carrie Lake pulls this out, but uh, I had also heard that Blake Masters was going to not make it too. um, But I don't know how much we can even put into this stuff. And this is what really concerns me. I'm talking about going into 2024 is everything is predicated off of what people really believe and actually think, and um, so it's going to be hard doing it this time without – Having faith in the in what people really think and that the polling data is accurate, um, but I, I do believe Kerry Lake. Carrie Lake, I, uh, Carrie Lake th- it, this should have been a blowout, right? I mean, this is just like Fetterman losing. I mean, Oz should have that should have been a blowout win, but it wasn't. Kerry uh, Lake should be. I think she's a rock star. I think she's one of the best candidates I've ever seen. Uh, I think her messaging is great. She's a she handles herself well. Um, but, yeah, here we are <laughs> trying to see what's going to happen. So I really right now don't have any faith in in any of that, but I think Kerry Lake will pull it out, but we'll see.
4: Yeah. All right. Uh, and, again, this election, this runoff uh, for the senator seat in Georgia, uh, you've got Herschel Walker, obviously a Trump-pick candidate. They've been friends for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, you've got Warnock, who a lot of people still look to Trump spat with the governor and the secretary of state of Georgia, Alaska, around thinking that led to a lot of Trump supporters staying home, putting Warnock in that seat in the first place. Uh, It it is a case here where you've got that connection, but he really did do well in the debate uh, that he had. And it was a debate that I heard a lot of people criticize him on about. But at the end of the day, he related to the people of Georgia and he did a really good job of staying on point, pivoting back to points he picked up a lot of support then uh, all his personal issues got in the way again talking about mm-hmm. quality of candidate and all this but I think he did a good job of getting ahead of it yeah. the fact that nobody got 50% I think was almost a given at least I thought it was going in I, I've had a feeling this was going to go to a runoff now that it's just mm-hmm. the two of them uh, do you have a feeling about that particular race
5: yeah i I think it's going to be very tight i think it's going to be this is very similar i mean we're right back in the same place tim that we were in 2020 right so right back in the same place there so but i i think in this case i think uh there's going to be a lot of people coming out to support him i this one there's no doubt about that i've already seen that i think he'll end up with i'm talking herschel walker end up with a big ground game he'll have a lot of good conservatives supporting him uh everybody i think I think there's more of an awareness of how important this runoff is this time than there was maybe the last time we we did this whole dance. But I uh okay, so here's one of the things and I'll just say it, there's a there is a Trump factor in this one. And so I think a, some of it will depend on how does Donald Trump play this out? Uh, is he more concerned about Going after Youngkin and DeSantis, or is he more concerned about actually helping in this runoff? And I think there were a lot of people, and and, and I'll say it, and I'm, so I hope people don't get mad, but I still love Donald Trump. But I think he didn't help in the last the last time, and I think maybe still licking his wounds a little bit and wondering what the heck happened, and a lot of us were. Uh, but we'll see how he factors in on this thing. But I think there will be a bigger Trump factor on this runoff than there was in the overall scheme of things that took place on election day, but I'm hoping that Herschel Walker wins and uh, he can do it. Um, he's just got a messaging is really a big thing with the Herschel Walker campaign. I mean, I think people have seen that you talked about his debate performance, which was pretty good, but there's been a lot of other things that, um, he hasn't been so good at on the messaging side of things. So we'll see how disciplined Herschel is and we'll see how much support he gets. It looks like he's going to get a lot and we'll see what the Trump factor is on that as well.
4: Wow. I do know if there's one thing that Herschel Walker knows about, it's a good ground game.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Good point.
4: All right. Well, I appreciate your time as always, Don, and you've been very, very generous with it this afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Please let everybody know where they can find you in the new show. Share all the websites and social media handles, anything you want to put out there right
5: now. Well, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure to be on with you again. Yeah, you're right. It's been too long. So DonSmithShow.com is the website. Uh, Don Smith Show is the all one word is the Rumble page. And I guess that's where most of my stuff is going now. And then uh, DonSmithShow.locals.com is where you can find me on Locals. So I'm still putting out my videos, my just so you knows and all those other things. So, But we've got a lot of activity going on here. Um, So a lot of stuff going up on those pages. Those are the best places to keep
4: up with me. Right. Thank you, Don. And definitely need to get back together on a much more regular basis. I, I really, I went back and I looked at it. And the last time we talked, uh, we were doing a tribute to Kel Fritzi. So it has been to oh, wow. yeah. way too long. I, I, just miss know her. You, I, I just know that you're a busy man and I, I hate to even bug you. It's really what it comes down to.
5: <laughs> no, feel free. You're not bugging me. All it's right. always an honor to be on
4: with you. All right. Thank you, sir. God bless. Keep up the good work and uh, look forward to the uh, next uh episode from uh, the Insider Show.
5: Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Tim. God bless.
4: All right. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is... With the Lucky Land
0: Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
6: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com.
6: Hello, America. This is Ken Crow with Conservative Daily Briefing, and you are listening to Tim
2: Tap Tap into the Truth.
4: All right, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Don Smith. Uh, it is always a, a great time uh, to get together with Don. I, I just love how well put together and well thought out everything that comes out of his mouth is. I mean, literally, it sounds like he has pages and pages of prepared material, but all of that is literally just Right off the top of his head, uh, he he really has a strong fundamental understanding, and that's part of what makes him so very good at what he does. And, uh, you know, it's also kind of the same thing that uh, that sets him and uh, Ann Ubellus apart from a lot of folks that are doing this. Same thing that uh, really works for Ron Edwards, Rod Eccles, uh, some of these folks that I hope uh, that you are still listening to, on the regular, and uh, if you're not, guys, it's easy enough to find them. Just just please uh, come find them. Political Insider uh, from uh, the Don Smith uh, Production Company is just really uh, a good show. At that point in time when we were talking, which was just yesterday, uh, today being Sunday, that was a Saturday conversation, and a few things have changed in the election counts and predictions, but Nothing official yet, even now, so I'm not going to go too far into those things. just want to remind you, go take a look over at Locals. Go visit Don Smith. Uh, Probably going to get a little bit of a chewing from uh, Doug, a.k.a. the Crazy Cajun, because I did run that a little long, so he's going to have to take out part of that (laughs) first hour to make it fit. I've got enough Random audio stuff that he can probably make that fit into that first hour. This, of course, is the second hour of today's broadcast. I want to thank all of you for being here. And again, I want to thank uh, Don for joining me. Uh, Just, I just always enjoy talking with Don Smith. Uh, I just, I know I say that about a lot of the guests that are on here more than, uh, more than once, but. You know, it's true. Uh, that's part of the reason why I like doing this. It's not just me babbling and sounding like I'm horribly unprepared and tripping over my words trying to get where I'm going, which I, I keep trying to convince myself that that's part of my charm. <laughs> it's part of why the guys, uh, the folks that like this show uh, do like it, because I don't come across as that super well-polished, fake kind of person. Um uh, Now, I could be completely wrong. Uh, Maybe it has more to do with the fact that occasionally I get a rant that they really like, and then they just like hearing from a lot of the guests. Uh, It could be that simple. But regardless of what it is, thank you for tuning in just the same. Also, want to give a quick shout-out to the folks that are listening on Stitcher. You guys are now 10 to 1 listenership higher than all the other platforms combined as of yesterday and that's just wow it's just wow i i've even started trying to to push li- listenership a little bit more over on iheart and spotify uh on social media and it just seems to encourage the stitcher audience even more so first and foremost i'm presuming that that means a lot of you folks are sharing uh those podcast as well, so I want to encourage you to continue to do so, but thank you so much for that. Now, let's get back in action, because i got three stories I want to try to get to in this second hour, and I'm really going to have to work hard to hit those time targets, because Doug is going to be mad enough at me already. All right, let's start with Elizabeth Warren. If you were listening to the uh, very beginning of the show, you heard me start with a clip of Elizabeth Warren uh, as she was on NBC's Meet the Press. She, of course, was being asked by Chuck Todd about whether or not Biden has the authority to uh, do the student debt forgiveness program that uh, is currently being held up in court. And is most likely going to be found unconstitutional because it actually is unconstitutional. Uh, Elizabeth doesn't seem to think so. Now, the premise here is that... uh, Based on the question from Chuck Todd, he wanted to know if Biden has the authority since former presidents, the likes of Barack Hussein, ala Obama, and the orange man who's bad, Donald John Trump, they both forgave some debt during their tenure. Warren then lashed out at the uh, Texas judge who's ruled that canceling debt was illegal, claiming that loan forgiveness was evidence that Democrats fight for working Americans. Now, I only played a small clip, because the rest of the clip, quite honestly, uh, makes me mad. (laughs) I didn't want to get super mad at it, because she does go into basically a campaign spill. She basically tries to stand up and say that, oh, well, this mean old Texas judge, it's not about the Constitution, and it's not about what's legal, it's about Democrats fighting for the little man, which I think at this point has been pretty well refuted. Granted, uh, the Democrats still aren't willing to admit that they don't uh, believe that, but that's also why at the top of the show, I followed it up immediately with the clip from Miss Nancy Mimi Pelosi from a year plus ago, where she basically was explaining, no, the president of the United States does not have the authority to just cancel debt. He can postpone which again, i said on many occasions that I would challenge the constitutionality of that as well, but she makes that assessment. So I played those clips back-to-back back so that I could point out to you that Democrats once upon a time actually understood how the Constitution works and that they were expected to abide by it. They are now at a point in time in the country where they no longer believe they're expected to abide by it. They believe that they have now convinced enough of Americans, especially of voting age, that the Constitution's actually an impediment to their success, that somehow that that's holding them back instead of holding the government back. And that is the biggest tragedy of Republicans' failure to message properly. A lot of Americans are buying in to the leftist lie. So what Warren said in her totalities, she said, quote, look, I'd be delighted to codify what the president is doing. But here's the key. I don't have any doubt that the president has the legal authority to cancel this student loan debt. President Trump did it. Uh, President Obama did it. President Biden has actually done it up to now on student loan debt payments. But we have to count... I'm sorry, but we have a court down in Texas, and if they're going to play politics instead of actually following the law, they do put the program at risk. Now, I'm going to stop there for just a second. I I will finish her little quote to show you how absurd it is here in a moment. But she says, if they're going to play politics instead of actually following the law, what law, Senator Pocahontas, I'm sorry, Senator Warren, what law? This is an executive order that's been put in place. That is not the law. This program is illegal. It is an overreach because they don't have the authority. And, and to say that Biden was actually doing it with the payments of this, those weren't canceled. They weren't forgiven. They were just postponed. That's why they're working hard to try it. They're trying to win over a bunch of millennial and younger folks who are still young enough to believe that somehow their education is of such value and of such worth that it should be an investment being made by our government instead of an investment that they're making. Now, these are people that are terribly, terribly overestimating the value and quality of those educations now. A lot of them are not actually learning very much because very few of them are coming out with even the slightest possibility of being prepared to offer up a well thought out a reasoned and rational argument on whether or not the electoral college should be done away with because they don't understand what its purpose is now, it continues to aggravate me that uh Miss Warren here is making statements that are directly in contradiction to the Constitution. But that's when I have to remind myself, and I'd like to remind a lot of you. You see, Elizabeth Warren was a law professor. She even taught at Harvard for a bit. But you see, once she had moved into teaching law, she was teaching commercial law, not constitutional law constitution is not exactly her strong point. I don't guess that really surprises anyone. Alright, I promised that I would finish the rest of her quote so here that is. Even though I probably should just leave that segment right there on that uh, surprising nobody comment because that's a really good place to leave it. But I did say I would so here I go. Back to quoting. She added this is one of the clearest differences between Democrats and Republicans. Now, if she looked at it right there, I'd be in complete agreement with her. One of the clearest differences is that right now, Democrats don't seem to understand the difference between a law and an executive order. They don't seem to understand what it means to actually be fighting for everyone instead of fighting for those who are going to be the folks in that higher uh, tax bracket. We'll 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 use that terminology because if you're trying to pay off a bunch of folks' student loans from where they go and get these degrees, presumably at least I don't know, at least a third of them. I I may be overestimating because you know the women's studies uh, degrees are really catching on. You but at least a third of these folks are going into fields where they're going to be quite lucrative. They're making a good amount of money and will probably make major contributions to Democrats that helped pay off their student loan debt. That's the hope. The Democrats are not fighting for the little guy there. They're fighting for their future elitists. They're fighting, in many cases, for their own children, and for their grandchildren, and their nephews and nieces. They're not fighting for the little guy who can't afford to go to college regardless. So yes, that is one of the clearest differences between the Democrats and the Republicans. But she didn't leave it there. She continued, I'll give you the rest. She then said, sounding very proud, and of course Chuck Todd is going right along with us to try to help promote the Democratic Party line, She went back, quoting, Democrats led by Joe Biden are out there saying, we hear you on what it's like to get crushed by student loan debt. We know what it means, and so we're here to try to help. The Republicans, they got nothing. They say, nope. The only people that they're willing to fight for are billionaires and billionaire corporations and conspiracy theorists. So, not sure why she threw that one in. Obviously, because even they're recognizing the whole January 6th thing's a conspiracy theory. Just, just an observation. Anyway. <laughs> The only people that are willing to fight for are the billionaires and billionaire corporations and conspiracy theorists. Democrats fight for working people. And when we fight for working people, we win. You know what? If you would get back to fighting for working people instead of trying to fight for stupid crap, maybe you would. Maybe you'd be worth voting for then. Uh, Senator Pocahontas, I I mean, uh, Senator Warren You seem to think that crisis pregnancy centers are a terrible, horrible thing that need to be closed. You seem to think that student loan debt should just be forgiven and that the president has some magical power that constitutionally doesn't exist. I think you've become a yes person for the Democratic Party because you're still hoping to someday be able to claim that you were the first woman elected president. You know but that's most likely going to come from the Republican Party, or at least that's what you believe. Sadly, Senator, these lies will eventually come back to haunt you and the rest of your cohorts currently in the Biden regime. You've taken the wrong message from the results of the midterm. In fact, you don't even have all of the results from the midterms yet. So at the moment, Right now, we're supposed to believe that the Democrats have retained control of the Senate. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
6: This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: And that right now, there is less than a 50-50 chance that the Republicans will end up with the majority in the House. I'm not necessarily buying that second one just yet. The first one's entirely possible. But regardless... You know better, Miss Warren. You know better. You shouldn't keep lying for your own political gain. The American people will eventually catch on. And you will be held accountable. Fortunately for you, you've just been a front person. Your accountability will come in the form of no longer being held in high esteem. There are others that are around you that have committed criminal offense. I would start working if I were you, Senator Warren, towards distancing myself from every single one of those people, and it might not be a bad idea if you didn't stop lying about everything. And while we're on the topic of stopping lying about everything, here's another story that seems to have very interesting timing. You see, one of the top officials in the FBI's Washington Field Office, Stephen DeAntonio. this guy, he's reportedly retiring from the FBI at the end of the month of November. You see, Stephen, he is the assistant director in charge of the Washington Field Office. He was promoted in October of 2020 from his previous position as special agent in charge of the Detroit field office, where he oversaw the FBI investigation into the conspiracy to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. He's he's expected to retire at the end of the month, according to a reportedly internal FBI memo. At his role in Washington, D.C., Stephen has been one of the chief FBI officials in charge of the Bureau's investigation into the U.S. Capitol riot on January 6th, surprise, surprise, the conspiracy to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer, and then the Capitol riot on January 6th. This is quite an interesting resume you've acquired here, Stephen. See, he received scrutiny and criticism from Republicans over his handling of both the kidnapping conspiracy and the January 6th investigation for good reason Stevens' departure uh, of course I'm using his first name because uh, I, I just I feel like I know the man at this point most of you should too we've been seeing the results of what the FBI has been doing for a while now if you happen to be conservative or if you just happen to be a parent who cares about what your local school system is teaching your children. Anyway, Stevens' departure comes as Republicans kind of looks like they're on the verge of taking control of the House, even though it'll be a slim majority. Over in the House, that's all you need. See, they don't have a filibuster over in the House. So, majority rules, right? The transferal of power away from the Democrats and a new House speaker uh, being put in place will then give Republicans power to dictate all the House investigations. And the FBI should be a target. We've been promised by multiple Republicans that were both running and who were supporting uh, folks that were seeking office, that this would be one of the highest priorities that the new Congress would have when they take over. Multiple investigations targeting the FBI, especially after numerous whistleblowers stepped forward. After several of these leaks from the whistleblowers revealed, well, let's let's play journalist for a moment and use the term potential corruption, and of course, allegations of Politicalization of the Bureau's highest levels. Of course, we all recall Representative Jim Jordan, Republican from Ohio, the top Republican on the House Judiciary Committee. He said earlier this year that his office alone had collected the statements of 14 FBI whistleblowers. In the Senate, Senator Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson, have collected whistleblower testimony as well. Some of that whistleblower testimony has implicated Stephen himself. To the FBI field office, assistant director is currently responsible for overseeing the Bureau investigation into rioters who stormed the U.S. Capitol all the way back on January 6th of 2021. The Department of Justice has brought hundreds of charges against alleged rioters as a result of the investigation. Whistleblowers, however, they've given accounts to the Republicans in Congress that allege that the January 6th investigation is being manipulated to appear as if domestic extremism is a rising national phenomenon. You know, the Democrats' narrative. The reason that you should vote blue no matter who, because those other guys, they support extremist ideas like the Constitution. Yeah, that's, it was extremist then, and it's extremist again today. Anyway, according to Jordan's office, one FBI whistleblower said that the FBI is manipulating its case files around the investigations to create, quote, False and misleading crime statistics. Instead of hundreds of investigations stemming from a single black swan incident at the Capitol, FBI and DOJ officials point to significant increases in domestic violent extremism and terrorism around the United States, according to this whistleblower. Basically, saying that because some of the people were from North Dakota, because some of the people there were from Uh, Georgia, because some of the people there were from Illinois or Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, because some of these people were from someplace other than D.C., then they're expanding it to make it look like it's a big national issue, when in fact all this is is a lot of conservatives that are tired of all the bullschnipy that you guys are pulling. They showed up to show support for Donald John Trump in the belief that he was the properly, duly elected, uh, excuse me, duly re-elected president of the United States, and that he was being forced to step out of office based on a sham. That's what a lot of people believe, but they were there to peacefully do their demonstration. That's what an overwhelming majority of people there were there to do, period. You can paint it any other way. I'm not laying cover for the folks that actually went into the Capitol. I'm not trying to give excuses for the actions of anybody that overstepped the legal bounds. But I am clearly telling you the Democrats need all you Democratic voters to be scared to death of your friends and neighbors who still vote Republican because if you found out the truth about how much they're manipulating you, well, it would be them being run out of town on a rail. And we might literally go back to doing that. You know, there was a time when politicians did this kind of stuff that there was literally a rail they were put on. Well, there was a time when folks were literally tarred and feathered and then carried out of town on a rail. So... Some of these folks might very well face that, but they're also, unfortunately for them, to the point now where they've created so many crazies that the acts of violence are being escalated, and then they want to turn around and blame somebody like me for that escalation. They want to blame commentators, and they want to blame office holders that have an R at the end of the name for elevating the political temperature when it's them doing the elevating. Them that's fighting the culture war, and when we fire a few self-defense shots back in the culture war, we're just so busy fighting the culture war, that we see the constant same pattern emerge. I've heard Ben Shapiro say this multiple times, and he's got it 100% right. The, the freaking pattern is this. It's like, it's not happening, but it's good that it's happening. Why are you noticing? It's not happening. They deny it for as long as they can deny it. Then it's good that it's happening because that's supportive of marginalized peoples, whatever it may be. And then why are you noticing? Why do you have a problem with it? What What is your interest in this? Our interest in this is protecting our children, protecting our republic, protecting our constitution, protecting our liberty. And it's important, boys and girls, that we use the word liberty, not freedom. Freedom can be anarchy. Liberty is what we were granted and guaranteed through the use of the Constitution. Liberty is freedom with responsibility. Personal freedom with personal responsibility. That's liberty. That's what we need. And that's the only way we can stay a free nation the only way we can continue to enjoy the blessings of liberty is if we have that personal responsibility that goes with which is why the political left has been pushing so hard trying so hard to eliminate the very notion the idea of personal responsibility it started with participation trophies while you shouldn't be held responsible to have to earn a trophy just being here is enough that was the nose The camel's nose under the tent of ending personal responsibility. And now, cashless bail? That's another attempt at lack of responsibility. Turn these criminals loose on the streets, even though they've committed crimes. Well, we've seen the results of that, haven't we? Obviously, we haven't seen enough of those results. If you're a victim of crime in a place like New York, then I'm sorry, guys. I, I am. I, I, I feel for you. Same thing if you're a victim of crime right here in my neighborhood. I feel bad for you. You shouldn't have to be a victim of crime. But we know human nature means that there are going to be criminals among us. There's going to be somebody that, for whatever reason, is going to try to take a shortcut rather than earn stuff on their own, or they're going to be caught up in some kind of insanity where they made some bad choices and got themselves hooked on drugs or joined a gang, or maybe they have mental instability. Maybe they're just not well, and they're going to commit acts of criminality. That's where the government is supposed to provide some stopgap. That's where a civil society has pulled together and set up rules, and that there's supposed to be a level of responsibility for those that commit these actions that are, in fact, criminal. But talking about something, especially political speech, was never supposed to be a crime. In fact, it's supposed to be protected. Now, Stevens' work at his previous position in Michigan, I'm still using his first name, Stevens' work in Michigan, it's also drawn a lot of scrutiny. The Department of Justice announced charges related to a conspiracy to kidnap Whitmer back in October of 2020. Weeks before the election, the investigation and bust quickly became one of the most important domestic terrorism investigations in a generation. According to BuzzFeed, That's a direct quote from a BuzzFeed article. Later, doubts grew about the extent of the FBI's role in the sting. This is certain defendants raised questions about the conduct of human sources and FBI agents involved in the investigation. Of the six men charged by the Department of Justice in the plot, two cut plea deals before heading to trial. Two were acquitted at trial and two were found guilty of conspiracy in a second trial after the first jury hung on the charges. So that leads us to the question of why Stephen de Anturno, I'm probably still getting Stephen's last name butchered. And I apologize for that, Stephen. It seems suspicious, the timing of your announced retirement, Stephen. Just when you think you might have to be called in front of a Congress that's no longer going to play patty cake with you. Well, now you want to get out of office and you want to get out of your office and see if you can't protect yourself from potential harm now maybe you're due for retirement maybe you've spent so much time in public service here's the problem see stephen i would love to believe that it, it's really just you stepping away that really is you having done years of service and now you're ready to retire that that you've done your part for king and country that you've served the people of the united states and that you've done it well that it's just time. I would love to believe all of that. But it's because of the politicalization of the Justice Department and specifically the FBI, because of friends of yours and co-workers of yours and certain FBI agents who were engaging in insurance policies and certain other heads of the FBI that talked about how We would never reasonably charge Hillary Clinton for a violation of laws that do not require intent for it to be a violation of the law. And then turn around and engage in communications with a recently elected president so that the media can then report on that communication. And, of course, the fact that there was this false allegation from a steel dossier that was part of it. An FBI that wanted to make sure that communication occurred so that the entire country could then talk about it. And so that a big chunk of the country could believe that that was a real thing. And so that you would then understand why the FBI then went to the FISA courts and acquired warrants to spy on the campaign and then continue to spy on the president. Because, you know, he won that campaign. Much to Hillary Clinton's chagrin. And, of course, your co-workers that had tried to put forth an insurance policy, then evidently, They picked the wrong insurance company. I would love to be able to believe in the FBI as an institution again. I would. I do know some FBI agents that have not spent more than a couple of days inside the beltway. And then they were traveling there for training or various other things. They don't want to be. In the Beltway, they want to be as far away from the Beltway as possible. These are good people. They're doing the work that the FBI is supposed to do. They themselves, they won't go on the record for anything, and they shouldn't. They don't know of anything other than secondhand, thirdhand conversation and rumors. So there's really nothing to go on the record about. They should try to stay outside of the politicalization of these departments. They should continue to do what they're doing. The hard work that a lot of good men and women are doing every day to try and help prevent terrorist attacks and other various crimes that fall under the jurisdiction of the FBI as it was founded. The problem still comes when we look at the the inside-the-beltway leadership. They've destroyed the institution. There's very little faith. Doesn't, never mind the American people, there's very little faith in, in FBI agents that are working inside the Beltway. They know. They see, That's why there's so many whistleblowers that have stepped forward. They want to save the FBI. And that's, again, one more reason why it's so disappointing to see so many people, Americans— go to the polls and not send a strong, firm message to the Democrats that you're tired of this type of politicalization. That you're tired of them ignoring the Constitution. That you're tired of them playing games with the economy that in turn makes all of us poorer. Which is the only result they can guarantee if they're trying to guarantee in results. They They can't lift us all up. All they can do is push us all down. And that's what they're doing. Energy policies, foreign policies. There's literally nothing this administration, nothing that this regime has gotten right. Not one single thing. And yet you voted to continue to allow them to Do these terrible, dastardly things that are going to hurt you, your children, your grandchildren, people that you don't even know yet, people that haven't been born yet, but you haven't cared enough about your own well-being to recognize that you need to apply some critical thinking. There's just not enough pain yet. Things aren't bad enough. Yet, because there are people that are still taking free money from the government and they can still go buy those ridiculously overpriced groceries. Unless you're somebody like myself who's fought and scratched and clawed my way into the lower part of the middle class, you're not feeling it. You don't have a firm understanding of how much this hurts because I can be back out of the middle class And a couple of paychecks. So maybe I feel it a little more than some of you. But I still don't understand how you don't see it for what it is. It's about so much more than a culture war. It's about the very survival of the United States as a nation. Now if we wanna we wanna have the conversation about a national divorce, that is a phrase I'm hearing more and more over the course of the last well, the last several months really, but the last few weeks it's been on the lips of a lot of folks. A lot of people that would have never mentioned it before. See the problem with a national divorce, we just let the blue states go be the blue states, we let the red states go be the red states, is that things will go bad so quickly in the blue states that it's going to spill over into the red states anyway. They're going to try to come take what's ours just because we're able to manage it better. Make no mistake, it would not be done. Uh, If you tried to have a cordial separation instead of of a full-blown civil fight if we're not talking about open warfare to determine who controls the country and just try to say, okay, well, we're just going to... They'll come for the red states eventually. They'll have no choice. Democrats are not possible, possibly even capable of managing the stuff in a reasonable fashion. Look at California. Look at New York. These are a couple of places that their state economies are larger than most countries around the world, and yet they never seem to have enough money. Why? You think the taxes aren't high enough in these places? You let more companies continue to leave. Where do you think it's going to end up at? We, the people, have the power to prevent it from getting that bad. But Those of us who see and understand, we've got a responsibility to explain it in a fashion to the younger folks that aren't quite getting it, that they'll actually listen, that they'll hear us, and that they'll understand. The people right now who think that, well, it's not really that bad, we're on a road to becoming Venezuela. By the time some of you realize this, it's going to be too late to go back. I think we do have one more election in us before there's no turning back. But, guys, we've really got to get to it. we got to fix things. It's just that simple. All right, I'm running late this hour, so let's get that mid hour break in and uh, then we'll finish up with my final story of the day. <laughs> You're listening to Tap into the Truth. Hey, Joe. They say building back better, make America great. If that's a wave of
3: the future, all I've got to say. Stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, well, we'd all be just fine.
2: Since just after the Revolutionary War, there have been those seeking to kick God and the Bible out of society. In 1844, Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story upheld the use of the Bible as a tool for teaching in government schools. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee, in this Bidal versus Girard case, Mr. Gerard's will permitted the teaching of the Christian faith, just not by members of the clergy. Justice Story's opinion that Gerard's will was not derogatory toward Christianity rested on two determinations. First, a layman was capable of teaching the general principles of Christianity. Second, Gerard's will actually permitted the teaching of the Bible in schools. It was duly noted that the Founding Fathers warned that in order for the United States to become and remain great, her people must be of good moral character. Mr. Girard clearly understood the importance of teaching students the biblical principles of morality and its general precepts. Whereas can the purest principles of morality be learned so perfectly as from the Bible? Where are benevolence, the love of truth, sobriety and industry, superior intellectual development be so powerfully and irresistibly inculcated as in the Bible? I'm Ron Edwards. Check out theronedwards.com.
4: Ron Edwards, the new voice of America.
2: Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acidic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase. And to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup.
4: Don't take my Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Hey Joe. Everybody wants to rule the world. Well, all right, we're we're uh, we're spiraling into the last story of the day, so might as well get there a little uh, sooner. Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? If you have the opportunity, please visit patriotmusic.com, and I would greatly appreciate it if you would come over and join the Tap into the Truth Locals community. Uh, It's a a great place to come hang out, and so far not a very crowded place. So come on over. The listenership over at Stitcher.com has been through the roof, and yet uh, folks coming to join the locals' community just doesn't seem to be there. Come on, guys. Anyway, um, we've been talking a lot about looking at data before assigning uh, blame looking at data before trying to make a determination. There are some things that there just hasn't been very much data available for. And this next story is about that. We finally have a new study bringing forth a little bit of light uh, involving hospital databases and what they insist on calling gender-affirming care. Now, when we talk about gender-affirming care, what we're really talking about is gender-denying care. Uh, It's an effort to try and deny the gender these people are and make them at least outwardly look like they're a different gender. We're talking about surgical mutilations and chemical castrations. We're talking about an opportunity to make money for a very long time instead of following the Hippocratic Oath, at least the basic premise that you should do no harm. That That is the first fundamental principle of the Hippocratic Oath, right? Anyway, we've got a brand new study based on hospital databases stating that at least... 1,130 adolescents between 2016 and 2019 received top surgeries. This is, of course, when they uh, either do mastectomies or augmentations. The study, of course, was published in the uh, Journal of American Medical Association Pediatrics Division. And according to them, they literally saw... A 300, did you get that? 300, an 89% increase, nearly 400%. Guys, that's that's why I'm emphasizing the number. 389% increase in adolescents ages 12 to 17 who obtained top surgeries in the three-year period between 2016 and 2019. An overwhelming majority of them, of the adolescents seeking the surgery, were female, roughly about 98.6%. Only about 1.4% were male. So you had very few boys trying to become girls in this particular time frame that were adolescents, but you did have a lot of young adolescent girls who simply didn't want to be girls anymore, and so they had their breasts removed. Quoting here, to our knowledge, this study is the largest investigation to date of gender-affirming chest reconstruction in a pediatric population. This, of course, it uh, was written by the paper's authors, uh, who are each affiliated with Vanderbilt University Medical Center. They went on to say, the results demonstrate substantial increases in gender-affirming chest constructions for adolescents. Now, again, I pause here because I, I want that to sink in a bit. I know sometimes it sounds like I'm stalling to to get a page mode or get a computer screen that just went blank back up. And that's because sometimes that is what's happening. But in this case, no, I I want that to sink in. This is coming from folks associated with Vanderbilt University. That's the folks that the Daily Wire, Matt Walsh in particular, really went after. Brought to light that... This is an ongoing issue. Vanderbilt University here in the state of Tennessee. Meanwhile, it's important to pay attention that these facts are very limited. These numbers are very limited. The data points are very... We saw nearly a 400% increase according to hospital databases. And, And that's part of why... This particular study significantly underestimates the number of adolescents who have received these gender-related chest surgeries. It only contains hospital-based data. It does not have anything from the private surgery centers, which are way more likely to be involved in this type of surgery. The data was collected from the National Ambulatory Surgery Sample. That's an outpatient hospital surgery database in the United States. According to the uh, JAMA, it included only procedures performed in hospitals, not by plastic surgeons in private settings. Because these procedures yield right around $10,000 per patient, just just that procedure alone. That doesn't count all the follow-up care that is required, especially if you're going through a gender-redefining uh, type of treatment. Do you hear the disdain in my voice for the use of those words? A lot of these mastectomies, a lot of them, they take place outside of the hospitals. They take place in surgery centers that are owned and operated by plastic surgeons. Now, the ages of the pediatric patients, they ranged from 12 to 17. 12, the youngest folks that are popping up in this particular group of databases. 42 of this number were between 12 and 14. 131, which is 16% of the total, were 15 years old. 291, that bumps us up to 34.5%, they were 16. 365 of them, 44% of the total were 17. That means that, yes, most of these children who were getting these surgeries were almost 18, but not quite. The fact that there's a category for 12- and 14-year-olds up here at all is ridiculous. The fact that it's happening with 15-year-olds should be criminal. They did take the time to look at things like race and ethnicity. Though That bit of information was collected from the hospital records, but only in 2019. They didn't keep those records before 2019. Clearly, in that year, the vast majority of patients were white, followed by Hispanics, and then blacks, and then Asian or Pacific Islander. Native Americans were the last specific group at the very end of the spectrum. Didn't, barely made up half a percent at that point, but about 4% of the total were categorized as other race. So they didn't fall into any of those, or they simply didn't identify The total charges for the chest reconstruction, which is what they were calling it, the median total was $29,886. That's a number that was adjusted for inflation, according to the author. Most of the chest surgeries, roughly about 61%, were covered by private health insurance. 16.5% used public health insurance, including Medicaid. Just under 16% paid out of pocket, and just under 7% indicated that they were some other form of payment. Most adolescents included in the analysis lived in a densely populated area. With literally 68% of them living in a country, I'm sorry, in a county with over 1 million residents. 21, almost 22%, lived in a moderately densely populated area, and only just under 10% lived in a county with less than a quarter million residents. Over half of those who obtained chest surgeries. Had a family annual income of over $82,000. Psychiatric comorbidities for these patients were listed, which included anxiety, roughly 21% of these folks, depression, uh, just a little over 16%. But again, it's very likely that a significant underestimation of those numbers were in place since these numbers were much lower than the high rates of depression that are typically seen among trans-identified teens. Again, hospital databases that were treating the one thing like a surgery rather than being a psychiatric facility. So they're not likely to be able to keep very good track of those numbers. So again, not very good data collecting here. The numbers you're seeing are not going to be representational of the accuracy. However, this does kind of help support, if we're going to take those numbers at face value, that a lot of the people getting these surgeries don't actually suffer from gender dysphoria. Back in July, same four authors, with the addition of two others, published a separate study on adults who also received what they insist on lying to people and calling it gender-affirming chest-reconstructing surgeries. The results there, also using the same outpatient hospital data, found that 21,293 individuals obtained top surgeries between 2016 and 2019. That, too, was a huge increase in previous years an increase of 143%. A large majority of chest surgeries were performed on female patients, roughly 82%. 82% of these surgeries are double mastectomies. Just under 28% of these trans-identifying males received breast augmentations. Now, you might say, Why are we talking about this? Why is that such a big deal? It's because this is the only information we got from the first real study into what these people are doing by butchering our children. It is an acknowledgement, first and foremost, that it is happening to children. And it's only an acknowledgement of what's happening in hospitals. So the numbers are just the very, very tip of the iceberg. As we learn more, this will become more disturbing. Let's not stop finding out the facts of what these people are doing to our children. That's going to have to be it for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so very much for being here. And remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth this is tim tap hey Let's-
1: if the good are unafraid.